You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12s. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. I'm joined by Rob Rang. It's a bit of a somber Monday after losing a sports legend yesterday. Our thoughts and prayers are with all the families affected by yesterday's tragedy in Southern California. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. Two Seahawks played in yesterday's Pro Bowl. Pete Carroll and his staff were on the sidelines during the NFC's 38-33 loss to the AFC. Russell Wilson threw a touchdown pass to Amari Cooper. Shaquille Griffin had three tackles. Unfortunately, Rob, what was happening on the field was the light, was really the least of anyone's concerns yesterday. Yeah, it really was. Uh, you know, the, the Pro Bowl is something that you, uh, you know, I think is just kind of a you know, one of those things that is just basically exhibition anyways. And then with the tragic news of, of Kobe Bryant, uh, his daughter, seven other uh, people who were who were killed in a, in a horrible, um, you know, uh, crash of a helicopter in California, just kind of rocked the sports world. It, it rocked all of the world. Um, and, and it certainly rocked the Seahawks just because of the fact that that Kobe Bryant, uh, you know, was somebody that that, that Pete Carroll um, and certainly a lot of the Seahawks players individually had their own relationships with. Um, and, and so it just kind of cast a pall over the over the entire world, really. Um, and, and something that uh, I, I think is is appropriate that we're we're starting off our show um, and talking about them just because of the impact that, that Kobe Bryant had um, in throughout the entire sports sports world. This entire ordeal just, you know, I told a few people I've talked to in the past 24 hours this, that, you know, I'm a 30-year-old guy, and I haven't really had a athlete that was like this. Obviously, Kobe Bryant was retired now, but I mean, he's only been retired for a few years. A legend of this magnitude to be lost under such tragic circumstances, I've never experienced anything like this, and it really gives you perspective on our mortality, and so it was something that really it shook me. I know it shook a ton of other people around the world. As you mentioned, this is not just a sports this is not just a sports loss. This is a loss for the world, losing one of the true global icons that's out there. And the Seahawks obviously were impacted as well. Russell Wilson reportedly brought his teammates in together for prayer for the Bryant family shortly before kickoff once the players learned of this. I don't know how some of these guys went out and played an exhibition game, given how impactful Kobe Bryant has been on this entire generation of athletes. It doesn't matter what sport you were playing. I played basketball only till my eighth grade year, and I can tell you that Kobe Bryant was not my favorite athlete necessarily. I can tell you when we were outside shooting hoops and messing around, what was the name that was getting rolled off the tongue when we were shooting jump shots? It was Kobe, or it was Mamba, and that's that's how we did things. And I even remember when we played football sometimes, guys would chuck passes and they would yell Kobe. It was just something that ended up being involved with everything that we did on the athletic standpoint uh, in athletic world. So again, it it just shook me to the core and I can only imagine how people like Pete Carroll that had such a strong personal connection with Brian dealt with this news yesterday. Just like the players, I don't know how the coaches went out and coached under these circumstances. Yeah, I know it it is. I mean, it's just a, a, a tragic event. Um, you know, I think that historically, I'm trying to think of uh, of some of the times where where you've seen uh, the world lose somebody um, just of this magnitude, this of this, uh, this you know, 
so shocking as this. And, and you know, not throughout my life um, have I seen something quite to this extent. I, I still remember the exact moment um, when, when, unfortunately, with the Lakers, Irvin Magic Johnson announced that, that he had acquired, uh, you know, the HIV um, and uh, you know, I was just a kid, and you know, in high school at the time. Um, and remember watching Sports Center or, or ESPN, and they had you know this, this breaking news, and so it was it was that kind of an impact, uh, you know, just to to really shake the world. Um, you know, the fact that there, you know was Grammys, everything. Um, they were you know just kind of acknowledging this, and so it just um, you know again, it, it's it's something that's it's kind of difficult to talk about, difficult to put into words. Uh, the impact that Kobe Bryant had, obviously on the courts, um, but, but much more so uh, throughout the rest of the world. Just his, um, his, his time as a human, humanitarian. I mean, he was known for his work with uh, w- w- women in, in particular, w- with the homeless community. Um, you know, obviously, again, working with his daughter as a basketball coach. And, uh, you know, so there, there's a lot of things about Kobe Bryant that I think that uh, we all can can take something from his life. And uh, as you said, Corbin, I think that just the – we all recognize our own mortality a little bit more um, and, and how important it is to tell the people that you care, uh, that you care about, how much you care about them. Because, uh, you know, unfortunately, um, life is precious, can be taken away, you know, at any second. I feel like all of us are guilty of this. We we all dish out the cliches all the time. You know, you're only here so long. You hear, I still hear people say YOLO all the time. But do people really live up to that? And I'm hoping that with a loss of this magnitude, and I can even say this from my own perspective, I'm hoping that it shoves me uh, to take every day more seriously, enjoy my life every day more. Because again, like you said, this this just shows you how quickly things can be altered in an instant. I mean, Kobe Bryant was passed by LeBron James on the scoring list the night before in Philadelphia, and Bryant was at the game to congratulate LeBron James and less than 24 hours later this happens so you just you never know how things are going to unfold so take advantage of every day everything that you do uh, make sure that you go out and and live your life to the fullest because as cliche as some people make it sound it's the truth you just don't know you never know uh, when it's going to be your time coming up in the second quarter we're going to make things a little bit more positive for the rest of the show We've got your guys' mailbag questions. We're going to get to those and answer as many of them as we can. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Before we move forward, let's talk about sex, good sex. Remember the days when you were always ready to go and you could increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed? Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Now, this isn't just for guys who can't perform, it's for any guy who wants extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code Locked On. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code Locked On to try for free. 
Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, along with Rob Rang. Coming up later in the third quarter, we're going to be looking at our latest NFL draft prospect in our Mock Draft Monday segment. We're going to be looking at the pass rush. That should fire up all Seahawks fans. Now, let's get to our Monday mailbag segment here on Locked On Seahawks. Tons of XFL questions. We'll try to get to a couple of those during this segment, but still going to be covering a lot of Seahawks-related topics. First question coming here from Bryce tweets, If you had to choose, would you sign Yannick Ngakwe or Matt Judon? Well, for me, it's, it's been Yannick Ngakwe. Um, and, and the reason why I say that is just because I think that, that physically he is such a uh, such a, a clear fit as that Leo defensive end um, that, that the Seattle has won with in the past. Pete Carroll talked about in, in his postseason press conference that, um, you know, that there might be some changes in the defense. Uh, might be going back to some of the things they've done in the past. Uh, I, I think that they are going to be a little bit more willing to sacrifice some size, that defensive end role, if they are unable able to to re-sign Jadavion Clowney um, and and so Yannick Ngakwe has that potential um, at the same time he's going to cost a lot of money as well um, and, and so if you were able to get someone cheaper and perhaps you might be able to do that with Matthew Judon as as good of a football player as he is he hasn't had uh, you know quite the um, you know the consistency of his career um, that, that Ngakwe has yet um, I still believe that, that if the Seahawks are able to get Ngakwe or Judon, uh, then either way, um, that it certainly would be a significant upgrade in the pass rush department. So I don't want to put you on the spot here, Rob, but which player do you think had more quarterback hits the last two seasons? I would guess it's probably Judon, but that is because he's playing a 3-4 rush linebacker system rather than a 4-3. And, and because Ngakwe has been kind of the, the more proven player, Judon being a, you know, a later pick and, and not necessarily the, 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 um, you know, the, the established player that Ngakwe was, then, then that's why I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case for Judon. I just don't know if he's necessarily going to be able to translate that success as easily as Ngakwe is. I don't think he's quite necessarily quite the, the schematic fit uh, that, that, Judon, or that Ngakwe would be in Seattle's scheme. So that would be the one argument that I would make against Judon is wondering how is he going to translate to being in a 4-3 defense. But I've heard Pete Carroll say this countless times that they are a 4-3 defense that runs a lot of 3-4 principles. And I think that a defensive mastermind like Pete Carroll would find a way to use Judon. And I guess here's my argument. I'm also looking at the business standpoint and trying to build the roster. If the Seahawks re-sign Clowney, which I think is going to be a top priority, it's going to be really difficult for them to also, I don't care how much money they've got in salary cap space, they're not going to want to put $40 million per year into two pass rushers. But I could see the argument being made that you would look at Judon, who you might be able to get for $15 million, and he's a guy that's had very similar production, albeit in a different scheme, a different style player. He has more quarterback hits than Gakwe the last two years, though. He's averaged seven sacks a season the last three years. Considering what the Seahawks had last year, that's a gold mine. They would love to add that to the table. Obviously, Gakwe's been a sack machine since coming into the league as well. Both of them would be great fits. 
But if you're able to get Judon at even three or four million less per year, maybe you can turn around with that extra money and you're able to add another player that can come in and contribute at another position. So those are things that have to be considered here. I obviously would not be upset if Ngakwe ended up getting signed by the Seahawks. He's an outstanding player. But I think that these two are very similar in terms of the amount of impact they can have. They are just different styles players. So for me, if I'm, it all comes down to price point. If Judon ends up pushing close to where Ngakwe's at, then I, I take Ngakwe three or four million in savings. I'm probably going towards Judon there because I think he is a very good football player that could still fit in Seattle's scheme. They would find a way to maximize his skill sets. He creates turnovers like Ngakwe does, four force fumbles this year. He's a solid run defender. I, I like his fit there better than some people, but either one of these guys would be great. I think the money is where it really comes down to, and of course, what they do with Clowney. If Clowney's gone, then go for Ngakwe. Go get him. Chris Jones is also available, as we've talked about. They will have some options if they want to be aggressive in free agency. Clint tweets, thoughts on the Wilson to Amari Cooper connection? Chances we see <laughs> that in Seattle. Well, I just think that's very unlikely. I think Seattle has bigger fish to fry in the wide receiver position. With all due respect to Amari Cooper, um, you know, one of the elite route runners um, in all of, of the NFL, has the speed to be able to break away. I think that if he had a quarterback who was as consistently accurate as Russell Wilson is, and and no disrespect to, to Dak Prescott, he is he, he's frankly exceeded my expectations when he came in uh, out of Mississippi State. But I, I think that there, there's no question about it. Russell Wilson, from an accuracy perspective, um, it would would be a significant upgrade. I, I don't know that that it's likely that that Amari Cooper is going to be able to get himself out of Dallas. I, I would be stunned if, if the Cowboys are not able to uh, to keep both uh, Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper uh, in Dallas. That's just this is this is Jerry Jones we're talking about. Um, but at the same time, sure, it's kind of like the conversation we just had about uh, with Judon or Ngakwe. I mean, if you are able to add a star, and I believe that Judon, as well as Ngakwe, and certainly Amari Cooper are, are all stars, any stars that, that you can add to Seattle's team, uh, I think it is going to be a step in the right direction. Because let's face it, this is this was a, a, a good Seahawks team a year ago that I think exceeded expectations in a lot of ways because I didn't see a lot of star power from them, with the exception, obviously, of Russell Wilson. Yeah, I don't see any way that this happens. I did include Amari Cooper in an article that I wrote up yesterday looking at five pro bowlers that maybe the Seahawks could pursue. If he does hit the market, then of course you can't rule anything out. But Spotrack is expecting that he's going to be pushing for 18 to 19 million per year. The Seahawks already have Tyler Lockett under contract. DK Metcalf eventually, if, if he continues to ascend, he's going to get a big deal eventually for the Seahawks. Still has three years left in his rookie deal. But if you throw all that money out to Amari Cooper right now, for short term, you're going to be able to keep all three of those guys there. But this is already a team that is very run heavy still. And you're going to add a third receiver with that kind of money. I just don't see it happening. And I kind of stirred this up yesterday unintentionally by showing their touchdown in the Pro Bowl, which really it shouldn't have gotten people that fired up because it's the Pro Bowl. But it got people talking about this potentially happening. I just don't see it. If they're going to get a receiver, I think they're going to draft somebody or maybe they'll sign somebody that's a lower tier free agent. I don't see them breaking the bank at this particular position. Jackson tweets, any player who missed all of last year that you think will have a big impact in 2020, like Big Nas, for example? 
Well, as far as missing the entire season, then then, then I, I would be surprised if we see any kind of a big impact. I, I think that um, you know it, it's going to be fascinating to see how Seattle deals with the center position. And so Justin Britt, who of course missed most of the year, um, the, the same with the tight end position. I, I am absolutely fascinated with what Seattle is going to be doing at the tight end position, as, as well as center, as I just mentioned. To me, those. Those are two of the strongest positions in this year's draft class, Corbin. And so considering the fact that Seattle is fully expecting to have 10 draft picks when you can throw in the compensatory picks, um, then I think that they have all the ammunition in the world to be able to address some of those concerns um, if they so choose. Uh, And as far as with Naz Jones, I mean, a good football player, uh, a guy who I think is is able to, to provide some depth, um, for Seattle, but but at the same time, I don't know that he is the type of difference maker that is going to be able to come in um, and, and change things around. So um, again, I'm eager to have him back for the Seahawks, but at the same time, I, I think that Seattle might be looking for an, an upgrade, frankly, along the defensive line rather than relying on, on players who played well early in their careers, but at the same time have not yet truly established themselves as, as difference makers. I'd love to see Big Nas play like he did his rookie season. I'm, at this point, though, skeptical that we're going to see that again out of him, especially after missing this entire season. I'm going to stay at the defensive tackle position with a player from their draft class, if, especially if Jaron Reed is not brought back. I think DeMarcus Christmas is a player that is going to be counted on. They're going to need him at least to be a rotational piece along the defensive line. Obviously, they could go out and sign a defensive tackle in free agency, too. It's a very deep group, which actually could benefit them from a price standpoint. It might saturate the market a little bit but I think DeMarcus Christmas is a name to watch and one other name I'm going to throw out there with his injury history I'm not sure that you can necessarily count on him but Pete Carroll name dropped him twice in their end of the season uh, press conference and that's Jordan Simmons he's a guy that played well in three starts uh, in 2018 he's a guy that uh, Mike Solari really likes at the guard spots and we know there's a good chance Mike Upati may not be back next year Phil Haynes has no starts to his name If Jordan Simmons can stay healthy, that's a big if given his injury history. But if he can stay healthy, that is a guy that could be in the mix competing for a starting position given what we saw a couple years ago. So those are a couple names I'll throw out there. A lot of the guys that missed the entire season, though, as you mentioned, Rob, none of those guys are going to be stars. There's no big-time playmakers that got injured in training camp or something that were are going to be coming back this year. These were all role players at best. So I'm not seeing any major impact players, but I would put DeMarcus Christmas and Jordan Simmons as my two candidates there. Brandon tweets, is there any way to fix the Pro Bowl? I tried watching and it is more boring than I even imagined. Uh, I, I don't have a great answer for you in that one, Brent. I did not watch it. Uh, I mean, I've watched the highlights since, um, and as we talked about in the first quarter, um, just the you know the the, the news for Kobe Bryant, uh, the, the fact that I am uh, you know hard at work and trying to write the about the the, the college uh, prospects that are you know, for the 2020 NFL draft. Um, so so I don't know that there is, but that, at the same time, I'm also you know I'm the old man get off my lawn kind of a thing when it comes to these. Uh, uh, you know, these exhibition all-star games. I mean, the, I, I watch the Major League Baseball all-star.
All-Star game because it does mean something. When, you know, when it comes down to Game 7 of the World Series and one team's going to have a home field advantage, and I think it's kind of corny, but it still is significant in my mind. And I, I'll watch the little highlights of the NBA All-Star game just because of the incredible athleticism uh, of their players. But when it comes to the Pro Bowl, frankly, I, I think the skill position, uh, you know, the, the, the skill games and things that they play, I think is actually a little bit more interesting. I Anytime I watch a Pro Bowl now, I just worry about guys getting injured. Um, or, you know, we saw that with the Cincinnati tight end Tyler Eifert a couple of years back. And so that's the biggest thing I worry about every time. And rather than being able to just kind of enjoy it from a, a football perspective, because frankly, it's, you know, it's basically basketball on turf. It's not real football anyways. Yeah, I don't think there's necessarily any way to fix the Pro Bowl as a game because it's it's going to continue to be the same type of basketball on turf that we saw yesterday where guys aren't really tackling the plays blown dead immediately. I mean, it's like practices are now for NFL teams where you tackle the running back, you hold him up and you don't bring him to the turf. That's the way the Pro Bowl is going to operate. Nothing about that is going to change. They don't want guys getting hurt in this game. I still think at some point you're going to see the NFL eventually ditch the actual game. I could see them still having a week where they do a celebration of some sort and these guys do the skills competition, but I could see it getting to the point where the game itself gets axed. There's eventually going to come a point where the money that they're making or lack of money they're making there is going to be a difference maker. That's really the the thing that's keeping it going right now is there are apparently enough people that watch it still that they can justify continuing to hold the event each year at some point i think that's going to change there's not really any way to spice it up though unless they (laughs) made it for home field advantage for the super bowl which would be ridiculous baseball actually got rid of that a few years ago because players didn't like it so i don't see any way that the nfl is going to go down that road real quick nikki tweets how do you think the seattle dragons will fare can two football teams survive here Oh, absolutely, Nikki. I, I think the, the, the two football teams can thrive here. Uh, you know, I mean, and three football teams, because the University of Washington as well obviously has a passionate fan base, and, and I'm excited to see what Jimmy Lake's going to be able to do there. But, you know, I look at what, what Tony Softley, um, the director of player personnel, and, and of course, uh, you know, Jim Zorn as head coach at, at the roster that the, the Dragons are putting together, and I'm excited. I, I think this is going to be a good football team. They have a lot of former NFL talent, a lot of former Seahawks um, that, are, that are on their roster. Uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, the, the Seahawks may have a, you know, a little bit of a run for their money when it comes to uh, a team that could potentially um, be very, very competitive, at least in their division. Uh, you know, and, and so I, I'm like I said, I, I'm excited about this team. I, I think that, that there is reason uh, for people to be excited. I, I don't know about the XFL just in general, um, but I tell you what, I, I look at at, at the uh, the Seattle Dragons and compare to the other rosters I see out there and I think that this is a team that is ready to pop right out of the gate yeah I think when you look at the Seattle Dragons compared to the other rosters I was actually doing a lot of digging on this this morning mainly just looking for former Seahawks on the other seven rosters as well and there's question marks at some of these positions I wonder if the Dragons have a good enough quarterback but at the same token these minor leagues we saw this with the Alliance of American Football last year the quarterback play was pretty abysmal across the board for the most part there's a huge drop off I mean there are NFL teams that don't have a good enough quarterback to compete so trying to build a good quarterback situation in a minor league is very difficult to do I definitely think that multiple teams can survive here the question really is going to be 
are they going to be good enough to carry a league? Because we've seen these minor leagues just struggle financially, being unable to get through a season like the AAF did until somebody proves that they can have something that is sustained for more than a couple years. It's hard for me to get invested in something. I'm going to watch some of these games, mainly to look at some players maybe that use this opportunity to get back in the NFL, but it's going to be tough sledding right off the bat. If they can get through a couple seasons and make a profit and start to show progress, then maybe there's going to be hope for an alternative league to be able to make it. But based on history that we've seen, especially recent history, it's really difficult for these alternate leagues, these minor leagues, to be able to make things work. The one thing the XFL has in their favor, I think Vince McMahon this time around, after his first failed XFL experiment, he's went back to more normal football. There are some different rules, but he also really has planned financially. That's something the AAF clearly did not do. So that gives them a better chance to be able to make this thing work. That being said, I'm still a bit skeptical. From the product that's going to be on the field right now, I think that Seattle Dragons will get plenty of support. I saw that 20,000 tickets were sold for their first home game. So Seattle Seattle fans are going to show up. If the product ends up being decent, then they're going to keep showing up. But as far as the league goes, they got to prove to me that they can sustain something. So we'll just have to wait and see. Coming up after the break, it's Mock Draft Monday. We're going to be checking out a star pass rusher that was mocked to the Seahawks this week. Hopefully can bolster that pass rush that struggled to get to the quarterback in 2019. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back. Glad to have you joining us on Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined by Rob Rang. Happy Mock Draft Monday. We normally are doing these with mock drafts from the Draft Network, but last week we looked at Javon Kinlaw, and he was the prospect that was mocked to the Seahawks again. The other two mock drafts had the Seahawks trading down, which, Rob, you and I both know there's a pretty good chance that's going to be what happens anyway, given John Schneider's history, but... They do have more draft picks going into this year than they did last season, so maybe they'll sit tight with that first-round pick, especially if this particular player that was mocked by uh, Bucky Brooks of NFL.com ends up landing with the Seahawks. I would be totally down with using the 27th pick on this particular player, and that is Yitor Gross Matos, defensive end from Penn State. Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, um, you know, I, I've been spending a lot of time here doing the, you know, watching college tape and, and writing uh, the, you know, writing player profiles. Uh, um, and, and so Yatir Grasmatos is, is absolutely one of the elite pass rushers in this draft class. Um, he, he's got good size, 6'4", 264 pounds. I mentioned before, that's one of the reasons why I like uh, Yannick Ngakwe. He's more than that, 6'3", 250 pounds. Um, so Grasmatos is more is, is, like, like, like Judon. Um, you know, and, and he did play some stand-up edge rusher. He played with his hand in the dirt as, as a as a more of a traditional four-three defensive end, um, and they just explosive burst up field. Has the long arms that the Seattle has always prioritized. He's tougher at the point of attack than you would than you might expect. Um, you know, and and one of the other fascinating things about him is, is that he does have some off-field. Uh, situations that, that, that really tested his resiliency and we know that the Seahawks have made that such a priority and and specifically um, you know this young man 
he just had some tragedies in his life. His, his father, uh, biological father, drowned in front of him. Uh, went out there to basically save him, and um, and he drowned. And and then his uh, his brother was struck by lightning during a, a children's baseball game. Saw that happen as well. Um, you know, and, and so the fact that that he went through those types of tragedies, uh, you know, is the type of thing that, that the Seahawks have, have consistently kind of looked for players like that because I think that they have a little bit more perspective about the game, um, and, and at the same time, it's also hardened them. Um, and, and so Gross Matos, I think, is, a, is it would be a terrific fit for the Seahawks, and not at all surprised that Bucky Brooks, a, a, a draft analyst that I have a great and former NFL scout that I have a great deal of respect for. Um, I think that this would be a you know a, a very wide selection by the Seahawks if he were indeed available to them at number twenty-seven overall. He's entering the draft early. He just finished his junior season. I think that there's a very high ceiling for Gross Matos. I already love the player. I think he is a surefire first-round pick, partially because, as you mentioned, this draft class not quite as strong at edge rusher. Actually, it's not close to last year's, but last year's was a historically great defensive line class across the board, pass rushers and in the interior. But this is a player that I think maybe it'll take a little bit of time when he gets in the league for him to be an every down player. I think he's got to get stronger, especially in that lower body, a little bit lean for me, but he's so explosive upfield. And I think the thing that caught me off guard watching film, going back to the Iowa game two years ago this was when he was a sophomore and he got a lot stronger his junior season but he busted out the hump move the Reggie White hump move and absolutely trucked one of Iowa's tackles launched him onto his backside and then sacked the quarterback and that was kind of the first one that went "Ooh, what, what am I watching here and I saw more moves develop his junior season the only thing I have an issue with is it seems like his pass rushing plan is not developed completely. There are plays where it doesn't look like he really has an idea what he's going to do, and he doesn't always maximize on those counters, but I think he's got very well-developed counter moves off of that explosive speed rush that he brings off the edge. He's a stout run defender, too. 34 and a half tackles for loss the last two years. So a lot of times you see these edge guys, especially nowadays with the pass happiness of college football, You see a lot of these edge rushers that'll post 10, 11, 12 sacks, but usually their tackle for loss numbers are very similar because they're not guys that are getting into the backfield and wreaking havoc against the run, too. This guy can do both extremely well. I think he's got to get into the weight room. He's got to get stronger, not necessarily add a ton of weight. I like where his frame's at, but... I would like to see him get stronger to be able to handle the trenches as a as a down defensive end in a 4-3 system. But I think he can play the Leo spot. I think he can play the base tech defensive end position. I think he gives you the versatility, as you mentioned, to stand up as well. And in a perfect scenario, this would be, if I'm the Seahawks, I would be just losing my mind with happiness if they end up having this, this situation play out. But you re-sign Clowney, and then Gross Matos falls to you, you now have two defensive ends that you can interchange and you can just move them to either spot because they have the athleticism, the length, and enough power to be able to play both spots. They can both defend the run. They can both rush the passer. I think this kid has more upside as a pass rusher than Clowney does. Maybe not near as good of a run defender, but that would be your duo of defensive ends. I think Pete Carroll would be extremely fired up to go into the 2020 season with those two guys as his cornerstones at the edge rusher positions. 
No, I, I absolutely agree. And, uh, you know, I, I think that it's one of the reasons why I think that it's unlikely that Gross Matos is available. We talked about Javon Kinlaw before. I think that he's unlikely to be available as well. But in a way, I almost think that, that, that the Kinlaw um, has a better chance of being available just because his tape is so inconsistent. Uh, with Gross Matos, you said the word upside, and I think that is exactly the word to keep in mind with this young man. Um, but it's also consistency. As I talked about before with the resiliency, just on, on who he is as a man on on and off the field. He he just plays so damn hard every single snap, regardless of the opponent, um, that that to me, he he's going to be one of the safer edge rushers. And we all know the value of the edge rusher. Um, and, and as you said correctly, Corbin, this is a significantly weaker edge rushing class than a year ago. So I think you're going to see these pass rushers um, and a lot of the defensive tackles as well go early in this draft. And I think that's going to wind up having a lot of offensive linemen uh, drop down to Seattle's lap. And that, to me, is the position where, where Seattle may ultimately kind of, in a way, be forced to go. And, and I think that's the the, the, free, the moves they make in free agency, I think, are going to very much dictate who they are targeting um, in the first round. And we see that with all these teams. I mean, there's so much that it remains to be done. I mean, I get questions all the time. I know you get questions like this too, but I get questions of, man, the Seahawks, who should they go for at this position? It's like, well, I need to see what happens in March and in April and early April. I need to see which players they bring back, which new players they bring in. We've talked about all the talent that's out there at edge rusher and in the interior defensive line that could be available in free agency. Even if Clowney's not re-signed, there are going to be options out there for them to sign. And that alters your view going into the draft. If they don't get any of those guys, then they're desperately going to be hoping that a player like Gross Matos falls to them. I think regardless, you would love to have this guy fall to you because, as you said, the backstory, what he has overcame to get to this point, so much adversity, I mean, unimaginable tragedy that this young man has been through and yet. He has persevered, and he is one of the top prospects in this draft class. A guy that, as I mentioned, very scheme diverse, can play him in a number of different positions. I think that's another reason it's going to be really tough for him to be available at 27, because sometimes you get some of these players where only a handful of teams are going to be interested because they are so scheme-centric. This player is going to be really successful in this scheme, not so much in others. I think this is a kid that you can put in any scheme, and you can find a way for him to thrive, because of his size, length, athleticism, and of course, the head that he's got in his shoulders. There's no red flags with this kid either. So I find it hard to believe he's going to be available at 27, but we've seen crazy things happen in the draft. Things didn't fall the way the Seahawks hoped they would last year. Maybe this year, somebody like Gross Matos falls into their lap at pick number 27. And at that point, John Schneider, you better hold on to that draft pick instead of trading down like they did last year, potentially missing out on players like Montez Sweat. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's the thing. As I thought that the, the Seahawks did a nice job, um, while I certainly would have liked to have seen a Montez sweat, uh, you know, or – you know, there there's a number of, of defensive linemen in that draft class that Seattle was in position to be able to draft, but they, you know, ultimately elected to, to continue to trade down, acquire more draft picks. They, they needed those draft picks. This year, as I mentioned, with the, the, the expected to have the, the 10 
draft selections, when you include the compensatory picks, then I don't know that they are that, that John Schneider is going to be looking to trade down as aggressively as he has the last several years. Uh, in fact, I think this is one of those unique draft classes where you have a team that's potentially set to to play right now. You know, especially if you're able to um, either retain or acquire some more help um, through free agency, and of course with the the tenth most salary cap dollars um, available to them. I think that's very much going to be the case. So uh, I don't know that, that this is the year that Seattle is going to trade back. This might be the year that Seattle trades up. So uh, to me, this is a fascinating 2020 draft uh, for the Seahawks. And again, if Gross Matos is available, I, then I don't care who you sign in free agency, Clowney, Gakwe, Judon, whoever. If a, if a player like Gross Matos is available to him, I think you still have to draft him just because pass rushers are so important. And this is a young man who is very good right now. But again, upside, he will be even better two, three years down the road. This is one of those cases where, especially when you're late in the first round like the Seahawks are, you take the best player available in that instance. If he's on the board, I don't, and like you said, I don't care who you sign in free agency, you can never have enough good pass rushers, especially a versatile player like Gross Matos that I failed to mention, but he's also a player, I think he's a little small to be able to do this at the NFL level consistently, but he played some in the interior in pass rushing downs for Penn State and had some success doing that as well. So this is a guy you can move around if he's available at that point. Obviously, if there's a top offensive tackle, that changes things. If they have some other options, whatever. But this is going to be a really hard kid to pass up on if he is actually available there at number 27. We'll just have to wait and see. we got a lot coming up free agency, seeing where these teams end up putting themselves going into the draft. Like you said, totally impacts what their game plan is going to be in late April. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at CorbinSmithNFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. If you'd like to be a featured sponsor on the Locked On Seahawks podcast, you can contact me, LockedSeahawks, at gmail.com. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever your preferred podcast platform is, by visiting us at LockedOnSeahawks.com. Coming up on tomorrow's Throwback Tuesday, we'll revisit Seattle's Super Bowl 48 victory over Denver, look at the 2019 season for the receiving group, and much more. Hope you'll be listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks!